kind of started from exclusion from my secondary school. So when I was excluded from 12, then you have really nothing to do. And then that's when you meet other young people that are also going through that kind of same, you know, process. And then before you know it, you're actually involved. I amputated another young child's finger, attempted robbery, which was of an Abbey National. And this is when I was 15 years of age because I absconded from Stamford House before the police recaptured me and placed me back into, by then, Felton Young Offenders Institution. Win, lose or draw, that I had to respond violently to any situation without hesitation. It was like a baby fight club. So they will basically teach you like, oh, you two don't get along, then have a fight. So as soon as you went back out into society as well, what is your mind? What is your, what, what is your mind frame? It is, as soon as somebody says something that you do not like, you punch them in the mouth. You become, you become violent, you become hostile. That's what Malcolm X said as well, that if you're speaking English and somebody is speaking Japanese, then there's gonna be a communication barrier here. You need to speak the language of the people. We do know now that there is other ways of communicating your feelings, but at that time, you know, it was demonstrated by, I would say, um, acts of violence. I received a phone call saying that two gentlemen that owned a car hire place, they were dealing in illegal transaction. He gave me an envelope. I said, I didn't come for that. You know what I come for. I said, if you don't, then you know what I'm going to do next. That's what I said to him. So at that time, I produced my firearm. And I'm not proud to say um, I shot them both. delight to have a very special guest someone who's been through an incredible journey at a relatively young age um, and come out the other end having spent 27 years behind bars um, absolute miracle that you've come out sane and on top of that you came out sort of having cured yourself and with a positive message to share so I'll take my hat off to you um, today guys we are with Dwayne Patterson Dwayne thank you very much for the opportunity um, I'd like to say thank you as well and I would also like to congratulate you as well I've always enjoyed, you know, watching your programs. But one of the most important things as well, um, concerning the likes of yourself and RTM as well, you lot were one of the first group of people that actually reached out to me and actually didn't really care about what kind of reputation came with me and the stigmatization that was actually attached. And you never kind of abandoned me when many individuals decided that, whoa, I just want to no, 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 we're not going to really touch this right now. And so I'd like to thank you. First and foremost is as well, I would like to say um, assalamu alaikum to my brothers. They also know me as Yusuf. And I'd also like to say peace and universal love to my brothers and sisters of humanity as well. I think this is very important. Absolutely. Well, um, I very much appreciate the opportunity and I've been obviously dying to meet you, really excited to meet you. I've heard a lot about you from other people and uh, who talk very highly of you. And like I said, in terms of 
all this stuff with the reputation, the stigma and all this, this actually attracts me to the people who have this because I know how people get the wrong reputation and get the wrong stigma and so it makes me want to meet these people and explore. So um, yeah, very much appreciate it again, like I said. Um, so let's go back to the start of your journey, if possible, Dwayne. Um, where did it all start for you? Where did you grow up? Talk to me a little bit about the family setting and your childhood, if possible. Okay. Um, I actually, it's, it's quite funny as well, because when I tend to articulate myself and explain to them where I actually, actually came from, they actually think that I was actually born at Windsor Road. I'm actually from Windsor Road, but I'm originally from Clapham Junction. I was actually from Nine Badger Court. So my mother, my mother had me very young. She was um, 16 and then she conceived me at 17. And my um, father was also young as well. He lived on St. John's Hill. He's also a Rastafarian, a 12th tribe. So yeah, relevantly, they were young. They separated. My mum, eventually when I was roughly about five, my mother remarried to my stepfather and I had other siblings from my um, from my mother's side we then moved into Patmore so that's the kind of that's the kind of like um, history I was actually born in St Thomas's Hospital so that's Lambeth South East London yeah relevantly I had a good childhood as well so there's no kind of complaints like that I was never being young as well, I was never dragged up. One of the emphasis, you know, my family always emphasised this word that education. Education is the key to, the, um, to success. I would say <clears throat> I had a balance of two worlds because obviously my mum was a, my mum's a Christian. She was Church of England. So I grew up being a water boy, which was, hmm, it was intriguing at the time. I used to, you know, I used to hold the cross I used to say some verses like, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and so forth. And on the other hand, my father, my father is a 12th tribe. So if you look at biblical terms as well of Jacob and his, um, the 12, his, 12, his 12 children, the 12 sons, and each produced tribes. So this was good as well, because what my father also taught me was, as well was black empowerment. Also understanding oneself. And I think I've said this before as well. It was quite funny when I was growing up as well, because at school as well, when you do timelines and they would explain, you know, like how many aunties, how many uncles, I would be killing the A4 paper. It would just be absolutely crazy. And they'll be thinking, no, it's not possible. I said, yeah, because the way that my father and my mother incorporated our kind of teaching and learnings as well was that, friend of families as well were also aunties and uncles you had that natural respect so naturally i grew up just thinking that they were my natural aunties and uncles i would say especially being afro-caribbean as well we are matriarch the matriarch is our grandmother on both sides there were amazing individuals don't get me wrong my grandfathers were amazing as well but the grandmothers the men understood the dynamics, the grandmothers. And it was funny, um, my mother's side, they spoiled me rotten. <laughs> um, I could never do anything wrong. So 
even if I done it right in front of them, he hasn't done it. But my father's side, they were more meticulous in their criticism. <laughs> so, and it was good as well, because there was a learning curve. And they would actually say, no, 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 you, you spoiled little brat. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna be behaving the same way that you behave at your mother's. We're gonna teach you something else. And one of the things that always stuck with me as well, is what my parents actually said to me. And I wish I learned this earlier. They said, it's not the mistakes that you have to worry about, but it's the consequences that come with the mistakes. Of course. And so, yeah. Of course. And so your childhood, was it a happy childhood, school? Um, happy in the estate? Happy in the Patmore estate? How was it back then, growing yeah, up? Yeah, so primary school, I always had, I think there was always, a, there was always one issue. And I, I did have a quick temper. And I just think, being young as well, you have high levels of testosterones. So you tend to, you become very impulsive, you tend to react. And being in, being in primary school as well, one thing that I hated as well was um, those that I perceived to be bullies. So I would always, and my mother always used to point this out to me as well. She said that, I, I feel that your problem is as well that why do you always involve yourself in other people's issues? Why can't you just... And I said, Mom, I've just picked up the same traits that you have. <laughs> I can't help it. It's inherited in us that if we see that there is somebody being suppressed, oppressed and depressed, that we feel that obligation, we feel that, that duty to help that person. So this is all I'm actually doing. Um, I don't want to sound, um, you know... I could say proud or, you know, trying to assume anything as well, but I was always told, especially in primary school as well, that I was highly intelligent. But I just felt that the, the system at the time as well just chose not to understand me, didn't really care, because already the headmaster had a kind of like, he had a perception, a preconceived idea about me. And the perception, the perception was, was that, oh, well, your behavior is going to lead you to being incarcerated or being killed. And I think that's just unfair. And to say that to a child, where we know that the most formative years is from one to seven. So for me personally, it was like self-fulfilling prophecy. And I just feel it was unfair. So I was I was in school, but the only problem, the only issues that I was actually having was that I was always fighting. For some reason, I just weren't compatible with other children. I'm not saying every child that I had a fight with was a bully, because that weren't the case. But again, as you know already, that when there's high levels of testosterone as well, and it, sometimes a child challenges, challenges you, sometimes you just feel um, you just feel obligated to try to prove your worth, because you're still trying to develop as, as an individual. You're still trying to understand yourself and know yourself. So I got into a lot of fights and I was on the verge of being um, excluded from primary school. Then my, um, they took me out of Falconbrook, which was in Clapham Junction. And then I went to live with my mother, which was in Patmore. Wow. So it was kind of different, the whole dynamics. Because in Clapham Junction, especially Badger Court, St John's Hill, Plough Road, we kind of knew everybody and families knew everybody, so it weren't so severe. Even if you had a fight with another with another young person as well, it was still like 
it was controlled because all the families knew each other. So, you know, you go out to the back, you have a fight, play football, you're all friends. But then when I went to Patmore, like Windsor Road, it was a whole different ballgame because there were so many estates, as you're probably aware. There were so many estates. Um, there was just more kids. And some of them were ruthless. And Patmore at the time when I was there, it was like a Switzerland. So that's the only way that I can describe it. So you had people from Brixton come in, you had Stockwell, you, you had some very notorious names and faces. And it was this kind of ruthless. It was a type of... It was a type of situation that if you don't know someone, you could easily become a victim. I think, for me, the defining... The defining moment that kind of changed me as a person was when I was set upon by a group of young people as well. Now I now I understand now I understand it, but at the time I never. I saw it as survival of the fittest. But we know now, being older, that survival of the fittest is just a mere justification for destroying and oppressing people much weaker than ourselves. But at that time, I couldn't because young. You know, a group of young people approached me. They asked me to take off my jacket. These times, my mum bought me the new, it was an eight ball jacket. So these were in fashion at the time. I refused. And with that, they set upon me. I asked for help. But nobody gave me that assistance. And sometimes being so young as well, you see adults as actually being guardians. You know, people that would actually help you from that situation. But... I was not helped. And what age was that, Dwayne? Sorry to interject. What age was that that you ended up getting jumped? I was roughly about nine. And so nine. that was the sort of first major trauma that might have pushed you towards, if it's not addressed correctly, it can sort of push you towards the badness then, can't it? Um, 100%. That was kind of like the pivotal moment. And you have to understand also as well, it was a bad combination for me as well. It was like a cocktail. I already had a bad temper. So all it needed was that, you know, that spark. And that was the spark that was given. So my mum actually, actually reminds me of this. I went hospital with my mother and I turned around to my mum and I said it would never happen to me again. So did you actually have to go to the hospital from the, the beating you got? Or? Yeah. Yeah, so I, that's I, was, I was... Yes and no. Severe in the sense of that, obviously, you get checked up, you're young as well. You've been, you know, kicked upon, and I've been hurt. But at the same time as well, that I made a, I made a promise to myself as well that nobody would ever do this again. Because I understand the whole kind of dynamics, and especially from where I'm from as well. It's, sometimes it's not the young people's thoughts as well. We have to look at their whole kind of social background and where they've been raised up and how they look at life as well. Now, <clears throat> the way that I observed it as well, that there was a group of young people that I was afraid of. And it seems like they sensed this already. It's very predatory. So once they sense the fear, it's over for you. And so what I would tend to do as well, one of the most frightening moments was when my mom um, used to say to me that you need to go to the shops. So even then, I understood about also being calculated, knowing, 
okay so they're gonna be here so how can I navigate so I don't bump into them and so forth but then unfortunately on that day it never worked accordingly and I was set it upon so do you think that that was quite a um, major moment in your life and that sort of changed the course of your life from that moment there getting attacked do you think I think it was one of them it was definitely a trigger as well because it was just that feeling of being hope you know just being defenseless that hopelessness and I never wanted to be subjected to that ever again mm. yeah I mean I actually had something similar happen to myself and I think that that was a major turning point for me and I think it can take away a lot of the the innocence in the child after something like that can happen and obviously you mentioned before you're quite a physical child I think that's quite normal in a boy like you said with testosterone rebellious it's not a case that we've got a lot of anger inside us or anything like this we just like to be physical as boys you know um, so you can be physical and be still be innocent at the same time which sound like you were mm. and obviously when you have a trauma like that it can be life-changing if it's not addressed correctly which not many people do and then it can obviously put us on the wrong sort of path and it sounds like that's what sort of happened to you as such was it no definitely 100% and also not given the right opportunities as well because let's be honest as well society talks about giving second chances and so forth but we all sometimes have a preconceived idea on um, how certain groups of people behave and act and being so young how can you determine how that child's life gonna t you know it's gonna become without actually giving them that help and assistance so already they wrote me off if that makes sense of course I they said my education was at a very high level because even going to secondary school and I applied for certain schools like Westminster, 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 Westminster Boys School and Emmanuel, which these are grammar schools, I actually passed the entry test. They, um, but they said because of my behaviour that they could not take that chance. Cool. So it just seems like the odds were against me, they were stacked against me. I can see it from their professional perspective as well. If you read something, sometimes people are influenced what influenced by what they read. But I've always said this as well. One thing that I liked as well when I was reading about Albert Einstein, and he actually made a comment. He said this, condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. So we need to sometimes open our minds as well. And sometimes we don't do this. We like to make sweeping statements and not truly understand what's really going on for that person. Of course, and the people that... Um planting these negative seeds in children are the people that should be the most open-minded to all these situations and stuff like this as well that's and it's just um yes yeah, it's not good where we're at that age like you said where we're so programmable and these seeds are putting into us and mm -hmm. eventually they can sort of convince you of what your future holds which is just obviously tragic but um can you remember when you were a child what aspirations you had um or hopes you had or what careers you wanted to go into when you're older or was it sport or yeah you <laughs> Do you know when you're a child as well, you go through so many different types of emotions. You go through so many different types of ambitions that you'd want to be. Like I remember being younger and watching Linford Christie and I was also, uh, um, I also used to run for Belgrave Harriers when I was yeah. very young. So I was a kit carrier. So I said, yeah, I want to be, I want to be an athlete. Then playing football, but I knew that maybe i'm not going to be a footballer that was more my brother that was just two years younger than me leon he was very talented and me and him used to get into arguments as well. i remember going into um at home as well <laughs> at his um at his mother's house my auntie and we would we would be 
at the house and he would want to put on, he'd always watch this Pele. This Pele, 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 Pele. I'm saying, I need to turn this over. And it's just, it's just funny, it's just amazing, but unfortunately for him as well, it's because of his knee. He would have been a professional footballer. He was mm. very, very talented. So we had a lot of talent in our family as well. Okay. There was other things as well. I wanted to be, I also wanted to be, funny enough, I wanted to be a school teacher. I just, I don't know what it was. It was something with learning as well, that even from a young age as well, I always knew that to get through to people as well, that you have to also sometimes use different methods. And some people may say that, well, you used a lot of violence, but you have to also understand the, you know, the group setting and the type of individuals that I was confronting. That's what Malcolm X said as well, that if you're speaking English and somebody is speaking Japanese, then there's going to be a communication barrier here. You need to speak the language of the people. We do know now that there is other ways of communicating your feelings, but at that time, you know, it was demonstrated by, I would say, um, acts of violence. Of course. And so um, you said you obviously got past the entrance exams for the grammar schools, but you didn't end up because you're getting into them because of your um, behaviour. So did you end up going to the local um, secondary school then? Yes, yeah, so they um, say... Local to Patmore? Um, no, they say comprehensive. So I went to a school in um, West London. It was actually called St Mark's. Why did you go there if you were living in Patmore at the time? It was nice though. My mum didn't. My mum didn't really want me to go to a lot of the schools that were local and nearby. She didn't feel that they were very good. Fair enough. So she sent me further afield. And the Patmore Estate had a um, big reputation at the time. It was quite a tough place to live, didn't it? And it was quite rough at the time. Did you experience it? Obviously, you got robbed. So mm. you experienced. I'm, I'm going to explain something to you as well that a lot of people are unaware of. Patmore. Initially, so when I moved into Patmore as well, as what I said, it was kind of Switzerland. You had different groups of people that weren't really connected with Patmore that was in Patmore. But Patmore as, as such, it weren't. It's later on. It, it came with my generation. Now, if you look at the whole dynamics of Patmore, Patmore was divided into four. Four quarters. You had Dealey Road. You had Kerry Gardens. You had um, what you would call Fessily Road. Yep. Corona Road, that's where me and Lou and everyone. Yep. And then you had Savona down the bottom. And these were the groups. And it was friendly, it was like tongue in cheek. So, you know, like like you would play football matches against each other and so forth, some of the older guys. Now, there were some guys on the estate, even older than me, that you generally had respect because they were actually physically, physically tough, but they weren't. Do you know, like in boxing, you sometimes say have the killer instincts. Sorry, not trying to be rude or trying to imply anything else. They just weren't that way, but they were physically tough. They could be any kind of gangster or anybody that felt that they were involved in that life. But they were aiming for bigger things. So with my generation now, we're the ones that actually kind of created a lot of the problems that then occurred. One of the first things were was trying to... You could, you could actually say, <clears throat> make our group as whole. So make it as one Patmore. But we had a different philosophy in my time as well. And this is going to surprise a lot of people as well. Patmore didn't, didn't consist of only residents from Patmore. It was a combination of lots of individuals from different areas. And they were the foundation of Patmore. A lot of people didn't know. 
mm -hmm. like you know friends such as Prince, Crusher, all these individuals were the foundations of Patmore, which a lot of people are unaware of. And so what age was it that you sort of started spending time on the streets then, um, in the Patmore estate, um, with the other kids? Again, it starts, it's so sad, and it's like history repeating itself. And I think this is for the authorities to also know as well. It kind of started from exclusion from my secondary school. So when I was excluded from 12, then you have really nothing to do. And then that's when you meet other young people that are also going through that kind of same, you know, process and then before you know it you're actually involved mm. in things that you shouldn't really be especially at that young age when you're supposed to be at school and, and so forth awesome why did you get expelled from school then again my problem's always been the same losing my temper fighting with other little kids where they just believe that your behavior is not manageable and i think it was just one of those um situations so just fighting was it um... yeah just continuous it was, and to be fair, I'm not just going to blame it on the, I'm just not going to blame it on the teachers and so forth. But it was just a lot of fighting. But on regards to doing my work and education, and they've always said the same thing as well that, you know, Mr. Patterson, he is a very highly intelligent person. Indeed, and so like you said, you didn't get straight into another comprehensive school straight away then, and you were spending time on the streets at that point there, till that, twelve, thirteen. That was, that was my last time. Well, you, you finished school at 12 years old? Finished school at 12 years of age. Oh, no. So, the next step was, I went to IT centres. I went to three. So I went to one in Clapham Junction. An IT centre? That... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I know that they've changed the concept of the naming. But IT centres IT centers were places that young people went to once they were actually excluded from school. Yeah. No, I understand. I think they've got a slightly different name now. These, yeah, are, these are the worst places in the world to be sending people... They've gone slightly off the rails with more kids that are on the same sort of path with them to put all the kids who are slightly on the wrong path misguided together. I don't I don't even think that was the case. I just think it weren't productive enough. And productive in the sense of it's like they almost gave up on you already. So it was like, yeah, let's do let's do cooking today. Let's let's play a game here. But there's nothing really educational that was actually happening that can actually stimulate the young minds. And that's where I felt that the problem with the problem light. And so was it, did you get introduced then to some actual bad naughty children when you were in that IT? No, so what actually, what actually happened um, in my case was that I had, um, obviously I've got an older brother as well, and he was, kind of con he was kind of concerned. He was like, you can't keep on coming to me all the time. Like, you need to toughen up. Because I was, I was small as well. I weren't how I look now. And he said that, look, you need to toughen up because my brother, um, he was always hardworking, educated and so forth, but he could defend himself and people knew my brother. So he was a fighter. And he was saying that, look, you just need to, you need, need to defend yourself. So one day I used to observe, there was this other group of kids and I used to observe them and there used to be a crowd of them and there used to be one in particular. He was always being admired by all the other kids, they was always around us observing him, always hanging on to his every word. And I said that, I would like to be like that. And then one day my brother said, I'm gonna introduce you to one of your cousins. I said, okay, and he introduced me and it was that actual young man. He was actually my cousin. Okay. Um, so then 
Awesome. No, no, so, sorry to interject. And so was this in the IT school, this? No, no, this one Just generally IT. on the streets? This was just generally, yeah. So I was introduced and we known as cousins and he just embraced me. He embraced me, introduced me to his friends, which a lot of them were from Brixton and like the Stockwell area. And I started to hang around with them. But I was like the baby of the group, the joker. You know, they didn't really take me seriously. I eat soft. And, <laughs> and yeah, it, it happened. It kind of happened in that sense. Like we would go to, would go to shops, um, start starting off with tills, taking money from tills, and then you just progress further from that. What age was this then? Sort of thirteen years old when you were sort of out of school then. Um, and how did you not get into what? another school? Why did they not put you into another comprehensive? Why did they decide? That's my behaviour. I did have a, I did have a fierce um, temper, and yeah, this is what they said, and I just couldn't get back into and then obviously it also added by me being excluded from you know from those IT centers mm. I think unfortunately I think a system that was supposed to help me actually failed me to a certain degree as well they just gave up on me of course it's um yeah they it's so easily done isn't it when kids slightly misbehaved and then I think the worst place to chuck them is in is IT or what they're called now with uh other naughty kids or rebellious kids and then they're all together and it's sort of a um, warm-up for the young offenders and then into the prison sort of stuff it's sort of uh, it seems to me but um, so when you sort of start hanging around with your older cousin and his older mates then that's when you're sort of really introduced to the badness like you said and robbing and more violence and crime mm. I would I would actually say that as well it was like um, sorry to say this it's like a rites of passage so sometimes if you go even, um, not even historically, like sometimes when you look at programs as well, like in Africa and so forth, where they're young men, they even used to say that with the Spartans as well, that they would leave them, they would push them out further into the woods and everything, and they would have to come back and then they reach puberty, they reach manhood because they can defend themselves. And it was exactly the same kind of dynamics as well. Yes, you would have older kids as well. Sometimes it'll be a bit rough on you, but they were preparing you for, they were actually preparing you for the world, the you could say the larger world as whole, even though you didn't understand that, you're thinking that yeah, he's just a state bully, but he was toughening you because outside, it, it can be a very cruel, cold and lonely world. So automatically, maybe they never really understood the type of teaching themselves as well, but it was actually preparing you for later years what's to come. Yeah, of course, I can understand, but it's, it can slightly sort of educate you in the wrong sort of path, but... 101%. Obviously, when lots of different people go through the trauma, you all sort of group together, don't you? And then mm. you're, you can educate yourself in what you think is important, but that can be taken as on the wrong path at the same time. And especially when you hang around with older children at the same time and naturally looking up to them, like you said, with the confidence and the way they are. It's only normal that we look for mentors, don't we? 101%. And so, obviously, I'm guessing when you've sort of, sort of fallen into this crime and stuff like this, it must have been sort of brushes with the law when you get arrested and stuff like this um when were your first brushes with the law mine is mine is a very short history because one of um one of the things that we need to um explore as well was this i i have an ab i have an abh a common assault and then it led on to it led on to my 
conviction for my first because I've been incarcerated twice. So when I was a young offender as well, my wound of intent, yeah. where I amputated uh, another young another young child's finger. And then I was incarcerated for five years and I was 13. Absolute madness. So it's like, obviously I saw this, you've only done two sentences and spent 27 years behind the door, which is absolutely insane. Um, and to get that sort of sentence as a kid, obviously I know you amputated as a serious thing, what you've done to the child from the sounds of it, but mm. to chuck a child away from 13 to 18 years old. That's correct. In such a hostile, violent environment is madness to me. Um, do you want to talk about the circumstances of the, the child uh, when they got mm. their family? I will, and respect to their families as well, so I don't really want to but I would explain the, the backdrop of it. It was a thing like, um, again, as when I was actually, when I was actually start, starting off in, you know, unfortunately moving in different degrees of dysfunctional behavior, I weren't known. I was just Tony's little brother. Just, yeah, you know, he's all, you know, my cousin, you know, I, that's just so forth, little cousin. So a lot of people felt that it was kind of easy to also pick a fight with me. Of course. But what actually happened was, to be fair, it was unfair on that young person as well because it was nothing that that young person really done that deserved that magnitude of that. But it's only because I didn't like his brothers and everybody else as well. So I felt that by doing that also would also draw a confrontation with making a statement which I know now, looking back, of course, it's disgusting. It's, a, it's every parent's worst nightmare. But you have to also take into consideration, I was also a child as well. Um, it was a bit different as well because when I initially first, I think one of my first convictions were ABH on common assault. The, the judge at the time as well, he put, he, he put an order which basically stated that for me to go into child services and this was crazy for me because I'm thinking I've got such a big family I've got a supportive family I've got a loving family none of them's been we haven't been dragged up my father had his own company in painting and decorating my mum was a seamstress she worked in central she worked in central London um if you look back at all my aunties and uncles we've got professors in our family we've got teachers We've got all types of, we've got actors, we've got all kind of professional people as well. Why can't I go to one of my uncles or aunties and everybody? And I went into children's homes, which I was mistreated. And what age was this? For this is 13 years old? No, I was younger. I was roughly about, when I first got taken into, I was about 12, 12, 11. Yes, just... Um... And it was... It was also unfair as well because you have to also understand as well. We know that sometimes kids can be very challenging. But I, f I, I totally feel that it's unacceptable for a grown man to be punching a child in his stomach and things such as this. Or acting like they're restraining you, but really and truly they're just abusing you by bending your arms back, want, want you to scream. And we're talking about 11 and 12 year olds. Nowadays, the person will be arrested and convicted. In those times, it was just like, yeah, it's acceptable. These are bad, tear away kids and they deserve whatever comes. So it hardens you. Sometimes people, even my wife sometimes, she says, are you okay? They say that I'm kind of aloof because I have my moment where I just like to be by myself. And it's because of that, being, you know, being locked in your room, just things like that. So 
it weren't it weren't really pleasant. Then obviously I had I also had another um, conviction for attempted um, attempted robbery, which was of a Abbey National, and this is when I was fifteen years um, fifteen years of age because I absconded from Stamford House, and then that's when I was out back into the community for maybe maybe a few months before the police recaptured me and placed me back into by then Felton Young Offenders Institution. Absolute madness when a kid's on a sort of troubled path to take him away from the positive influences of his family 101%. Um, was clearly the wrong thing to do and then not sh shortly after obviously you ended up getting in serious trouble like you said. And I'd um, like to articulate something as well. You have to also understand because sometimes what they tend to do as well when I've always spoken to like psychologists and various different professional people they like to stigmatize the families and say that okay so what were your families doing mm. now i would like to say to the viewers as well i have five brothers and nine sisters not one of them have ever been in trouble with the law they've never been in prison most of my siblings have degrees and masters so it's only because of the incident that happened to me that triggered me mm. so it's not like I can understand with some people's background and some people's history as well that they've had to behave a certain way because maybe their parents encouraged them, maybe that's all they had and they saw. It weren't like that. I was from a loving community and especially being a twelve a son of a 12 tribe as well. And my father was in Young Lions. He actually created the Young Lions Sound Clash and everything. So there was a lot of love that was being generated towards me. So I can never say that I came from a broken home, my mum was this or my father was this. They gave me everything. I was I was spoiled. And to be fair, I have to apologise to my siblings because my parents focus a lot of their energy on me because of my behaviour, trying to find different solutions where that it, it kind of tarnished the rest of my siblings. They've had to always come second best because my parents were so scared of what was happening to me. So they've, they've been amazing, both of my parents, my mother and my father. Fair play to you. Um, I can relate to that as well. Like I came from, with no criminals in my household, none of my family, they all went to uni and stuff like this. And sometimes people through trauma can get on the wrong sort of path. And 100%. if it's not addressed, it just carries on going down that wrong direction, doesn't it? They can only get worse and worse. Um, and so once you, a serious incident happened with the, the child who had some amputated, um, what sentence did you actually get and what was the court system then for a child at, <clears throat> yeah. was it a youth court you went to or? Yeah, so I can't, it's been such a long time ago and so many things have happened, so many events have happened, so please excuse me if it's not accurate. Of course. But um, obviously I went to, I think it was at the time as well, I went to Crown Court, Central Crown, Crown Court, I think I went, I can't recall. I know it was a Crown Court, I went to it in a London Crown Court, I'm recording. And I was I was given five years. I was given five years. And the thing was as well, the judge removed an order as well, so my name, I remember being on the newspaper as well. So I think it was South London. Fuck. So he actually, you know, because I'm young, I'm classified as a minor, but he named me. I was, they done something very clever as well. They convicted me at 15. So they waited, you're on, in remand in order so they could give yeah, you a bigger sentence. Was, yeah, they said it was a sensitive case. We're both young. 
And what was um, difficult for me as well, what was compelling as well, is how the system actually manipulated it years to come with the age. So they'll mention your age, oh yeah, 15, a 12 year old got stabbed, but no, I was 13. I know that he was a year behind me. So I know this young man. But what they tend to do is, well, they don't want to speak the truth. They want to hit you at the time when you got convicted. No, uh, tell me the point when I committed my crime. Of course. I was a child as well. And I'm still a child anyway at 15, but oh, I'm just saying to you, like, there's not a massive age difference. But these are the, these, you know, these were the things that, and then they'll come back and say, oh yeah, you're correct. And I said, I know I'm correct. And so how did you find um, Stanford House then when you went there straight away? That must have been obviously a massive shock to the system. I'm going there, but I'm, um, or you'd gone there from the, the care, was it? So you were? Yeah, that's correct. So it was more secure. Now at that time, and that's how I absconded, at that time I weren't at the very secure part yet. It was very strange. They, they placed me, obviously within their premises, but I was still in Stanford House. So they had two parts. Yeah. And um, I found it cold. What I can recall my early life, like, there was no kind of communication. It just seemed like, for me, it just seemed like they were fed up. They didn't care. These are tearaway kids and we don't really care. Mm. So did you meet some bad kids and naughty kids, obviously, while you were in there? I'm trying to... There was a couple of individuals that I knew already. They were already there. So I knew one that was in the actual secure part and there was one that was with me. So I knew them prior going into... And that's all I can remember of Stanford until I responded. Mm. And then obviously, by then, there was, a, there was a craze that was actually going on in South London, which was what they used to call shabby in the Abbey. So they used to, you know, be jumping over the counters and taking money from the banks, like Abbey Nationals and things such as that. Mm. So obviously, you just go with what the current affairs are. And I also started to partake. So you did that in the short period while you were at absconded yeah, from... Yeah, um, and that's where I got my other conviction. In, I got convicted in, I think it was 96. But it was a year after. I think somebody pointed me out, mentioned my name, and then the police came to see me. They took me to the police station, charged me with that. But then they said something else to me. They said to me that, um, I think at the time they called it... I forgot what it was, TLC. They called it TL something. So basically, the, what that was as well, that any unsolved cases as well, they believe that I've done a lot. So any unsolved cases as well, that would I be prepared? I said, no. I said, if you don't have any evidence, I'm not doing nothing. It's like, I haven't done it. So that, so that was it. And obviously there was three other individuals that was also convicted with me. I got the highest, even though I was the youngest out of that group. I got three and a half years to run concurrent. I remember that. And uh, one of the individuals was my cousin that I looked up to and um, two other friends. Mm. And we were all convicted. And so having been chucked in Felton now, um, how, how was that? That must have been a shock to you because I've heard it was horrifically rough back in them days, worse than the, the um, adult jails, um, the youth ones are, I've heard. Def definitely, 101%. This is, this is the defining factor. This is what actually makes you or breaks you. And there was a lot of people that I even looked up to as well, but then I saw their behavior and that. And let's be honest, and 
how they allowed you know other individuals to violate them in such a inhumane way that I actually lost respect for them as well and this determined and even people that we looked up to like from our state or our area thinking that these people were credible people and then in prison when you've got a combination of all young angry kids we have to remember this they're kids kids from up and down the country it changes the whole dynamics so in Feltham, um, one of the first things that I identified when we went was the reception process. So from reception, they'll take you through. Um, one of the alarming things that even from there I couldn't understand as well was the strip search and the squatting. And it just felt so it just felt so wrong for me, even at that age as well. It's just dehumanized. Then being processed um through to have like um you they'll give you like a reception lunch or some some food and that's where the mayhem starts because sometimes you could be sitting there you could be eating and then two people don't get along with each other and then the fight just happens or somebody gets taken around and then they're bullied or robbed and um so i knew straight away as soon as i irrespectively whether i win win lose or draw that i had to respond violently to any situation without hesitation. I understood that now, or you're just, you're going to have a miserable time in prison. So, um, it, sort of an environment like that, like says so either be a victim or toughen up and harden up and commit some extreme violence in order to sort of scare the people away from you in an environment like that, which is sort of horrific. Like yeah, yeah, because you have to also understand the whole kind of dynamics as well. There were some officers um, as well that believed in social reform, but people always posed this question to me as well. They said, but Dwayne, this is not your first time though. This is your second time. So didn't you learn from the first time? But what they're failing to understand as well, that in the early 90s as well, there was no such thing as rehabilitative courses. It was based on punishment. This is what they need to also understand and take into consideration. Not only that as well, the officers had a different mindset as well. It was like a baby fight club. So they will basically teach you like, well, you two don't get along, then have a fight. So as soon as you went back out into society as well, what is your mind? What is your, what, what is your mind frame? It is, as soon as somebody says something that you do not like, you punch them in the mouth. You become you become violent. You become hostile, which we know that's not the civilized that's not the civilized way of conducting yourself. But because you've been reprogrammed, you've been shaped into that way. You're thinking that it's just normal. So that's what was actually happening in Feltham as well. So I was just constantly like, um, it was a repeated cycle, fights after fights after fights after fights after fights, and it was just continuous fight. Um, Fight, segregation. Fight, segregation. Fight, segregation. Fight, lock behind the door. Fight, lock behind the door. Fight, segregation. And it continued for a long time. And there's not many children that end up spending five years in young offenders, is there? That you must have been. No. You can't have met many people who spent more time than you in. I had the opportunity though, because I had a, um, at the time I was under the youth justice team, and they can see that I had potential. There was one lady, I think her name was Vicky Statton. She was really nice though. She was like a mothering figure. And it, all the, the whole dynamics was kind of wrong as well. She was like a, a middle-class white lady, you know, dealing with a working class, young, 
Afro-Caribbean male and you'd think the whole dynamics would be like she would have some type of social stereotype but she went she was very helpful and she was getting she said like listen I don't want him to stay in um Young Offender I don't want him to stay in Felton I want to try to get him into um a secure unit yeah so I went to um Orchard Lodge I went to Orchard Lodge but again behaviour um they said, listen, we can't, we can't handle this. I went to Vinnie Green. Vinnie Green in Bristol. And I think it was kind of unfair as well because there was, there was a kind of divide as well. So you had a lot of Welsh guys there and they just didn't like London. And then, you know, the constant fights and so forth and... I went, no back to, I just went back to I went back to Felton. It's no good. Like I said, um, instead of being educated at school, you were educated in violence in five years in Young Offenders. And um, it's just no good, like we said. And I'm sure you saw a lot of people in the Young Offenders that went on to get lengthy sentences in the adult system like yourself. Um, yeah, definitely. This like I said, it's being shaped, aren't they, by that. And so when you were released from the Young Offenders 18 years old, you weren't educated the right things to be able to progress in life and be a law-abiding citizen all you knew was violence trauma aggression and all the things that are obviously going to get you on the wrong path 100 percent. and i knew outside the whole dynamics have changed as well so just before being released as well a prison guard actually said you should do some box boxing he said that you you're very handy with your fist um and so this is he he recommended that I should go to Repton Boys Club, but it was a bit too far for me, so I went to Ellsfield. And so yeah, so as soon as I was released as well, I was still debating because I was playing rugby whilst I was in prison as well, which was very good as well. And there were there were some clubs that actually wanted me. There was a first division, a first division team called Staines. So I did have opportunities as well. I'm not saying that it was all doom and gloom. But again, I think, as what you said as well, with the trauma, with everything that was going on for me at the time as well, it was just very difficult. Mm. And so when you got released um, at 18 years old, was it back to Patmore Estate, living yeah, with your mum? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And in, that... between, in between my mother and my father. Mm. And um, did you get involved with gangs at all, or was it just sort of just groups of... Other people was the gang thing, thing that at that time. It uh, was, but it's not. Not like See, the whole, thing, Yeah, yeah. The whole dynamics have changed because our philosophy was this: when you're eleven and twelve, that's what you call a gang. Like large groups of little kids, they're all together walking in fifties and so forth. But when you reach a certain age in your late teens as well, you're going to be more discreet. Of course. So you'd only be about like maybe three of you, four of you. That's the group. The only time you'll come together in large numbers if that you were going to like Coliseum and rave and something and now everybody's showing off the you know their spoils of whatever kind of criminal activity they were engaging with so you know their cars their jewelries and so forth but other than that you tend to keep your group very small of course but I also observed as well that the whole dynamics have changed as well because now you're coming now with this kind of mentality that you could just maybe slap a person or punch a person. He's not dealing with his fist anymore. He's not dealing with knives anymore. 
now he he's you know unfortunately he's dealing with uh, Smith and Weston. So it was like a um, it was like a spaghetti western. Who who draws first wins? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, obviously there's some um, serious older villains in the Patmore estate who are doing serious crime, whether it be armed robberies and serious violence going on, like you said. And when we're misguided, we see these people doing well, what we perceive to be doing well, and cars, the clothes, and they can that could be what obviously attracts us, unfortunately, um, to the fast things in life rather than doing it slow the correct way and mm -hmm. I'm guessing that was obviously what happened to you and when you've got the older people around you again looking up to them and so did you fall back into the life sort of crime quite quickly when not um, really because I could never say that I was really influenced by others once I've I hardened up so once I was remember my kind of journey was different from so many others so a lot of the times as well I done things by myself so I had that kind of confidence now yes there were other men that Eventually, there was one as well that he did because he saw the potential. He said, okay, look, this is not the life that you should live. But if you're going to do this, then at least do something properly. Don't be taking crumbs. Take the slice of the cake. Of course. And we're not trying to encourage young people to actually do this. But I'm saying that at the time, what we were doing was just pointless. You're killing each other for what? So what is your whole objective? When you decide to do whatever you're doing as well, your objective is to make money, to, to remove yourself from what you call living in poverty or living in, um, you know, living in undesirable environments. I can't say that I lived in poverty because no, my mother and my father worked hard and so forth. But I understood why some individuals may have engaged in what they engaged in because sometimes even going around to their houses as well, and seeing there's no food in the fridge for them. There was nothing, not even like a blanket and so forth. They were living hard. So I understand why some people's choices in life could have ended up the way that they they have. I know why I ended up the way that I ended up was previously what I actually said to you as well, what actually happened to me when I was younger. Mm. So yeah, so my objective next was, was to obviously to make money. And then by doing that, I engaged in you know, unsavoury behaviour. And so this was your introduction to serious monetary crimes as such then? And, 101%. Um, and what did this involve? Was this the drugs or was this the robberies or the armed robberies? Um, to be fair though, I didn't really agree with drugs because I saw the harmful effect that it actually had on people and especially people that I loved and cared for as well. So whether that's seeing a friend's mother and what she's really prepared to do just for, you know, you could say a couple of stones and things such as this. So this was kind of sad as well. And I just felt that it was just bad energy, bad karma. But it's also hypocritical of me because then obviously we, you know, we targeted, you know, individuals that were allegedly operating in different degrees of dysfunctional behaviour. Okay, so it'd be not just robbing legit places, you'd be targeting the drug dealers, it sounds like. Was mm. That's correct, yes. And because our philosophy was as well, they can't really go to the police, can they? It's, 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 it's not legit what they're doing and so forth. But then there's other pitfalls to that as well. That obviously, why should they relinquish what they've had? They've also suffering as well. What gives you the right to try to inveigle in somebody else's life as well, irrespectively? 
but see our brains are so our brains are so contaminated as well and so sick as well that you use excuses as well by saying that well they deserve it of course man. you know we're we're all we're all we're all criminals we all know the code and so forth but something changed for me because prior so example when i was incarcerated obviously for the 22 years there was an officer i'll never forget this and he just changed my whole philosophy of everything and he turned around to one of his colleagues i overheard him he says yeah i, I like patterson he's good stuff he only you know he only hurts his own and i I just observed that and I said to myself, okay, so he only hurts his own. And it's true, this is what we're doing. Because let's say if it's the other way around as well, and it was someone else that had done something to me as well, that same officer would have been saying exactly the same thing. So this is what we're doing. We're, we're breaking down our communities. We're destroying our communities. We're destroying the fabric of our communities. My father never taught me this. He taught me integrity. He taught me self-respect taught me to be a pillar of the community rather than being a bottom feeder so that kind of changed my whole ideology and i always made a prayer and i said that if i ever have this opportunity of ever being a free man again that i'm gonna elevate my community rather than put them down of course um so at that stage there obviously like i said you've got into mm. serious sort of crimes as such um robbing other drug dealers targeting criminals stuff like this was there any sort of positive stuff going on in your life at that point there did you get relationships or did you manage to play any sport did you yeah it's boxing boxers are you actually boxing down at the Ellsfield club yeah, yeah i was an amateur boxer i was very good i won i trained with a london squad i went to the channel islands okay, no, i boxed there i i beat the the gentleman <laughs> that was that was really that moment there i think was the pinnacle moment for me at boxing because it was like the whole island I'll never forget this. So we had to go on plane. And I'm scared of heights. My wife can tell you. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm absolutely petrified. I hate heights. And so we're traveling. I'm thinking, well, can't we go by the ferry or can't we do? And they're just like, nah, we're going by plane. So anyway, we land there. So it was good as well. We done the weighing that, that same day. And then the following night, we're going to have our bouts. So we went into one sports shop. I'll never forget this. And so the guys were obviously, because they've seen a lot of like black and brown faces as well, and some others, they know you're not from the island. So they were saying, yeah, so you little boxers, and you little boxers, and they said, yeah, yeah. And they said, oh, we've got a, we've got a very good boxer there. His name's McGannon. And whoever, whoever, whoever challenges him, they're gonna lose. And you know, they've hyped up this guy so much that you're just thinking in your head, like, even though you'll fight anybody, you're thinking that. <laughs> I, I, I don't want, I don't want <laughs> The way they've hyped him up, like, he was like a Superman for them. You know, he's like a national hero, McGannon. I'll never forget this. So then anyway, we saw the list of who's fighting who. Guess what? I said, the story of my life. I looked and I, and I saw, and I saw his name. His name was like McGannon. I said, oh man. And like, we was the last, we was the last bout. That's how much they rated him. So we're the last show. So I'll never forget this. And it was so nerve wracking. 
because I had my head, I remember I've had a lot of bouts by then, but I was nervous of this one. I had my headphones in, um, just block out the noise, just trying to relax. And then I said, yeah, it's time. I'm walking out and it's like, it was like a little dome. And they were, it's like the whole islands then, they're just booing. And it's like, boo, you know, you see, you see all the little kids, the like, you know, like, you know, I tried to speak to yourself, like, wow. And then when he came out like a superstar, you know, like, okay, and then, like, you know, like, like, I was just like, no, so, oh. so anyway, we started boxing. So the first round, I'm so nervous, you know, he's giving me hooks and so forth. I'm not going to bore, you know. And then I remember the bell rang, go back into our corners, respective corners. I remember, I remember Lenny, one of our coaches, he spoke to me. He said, you're bloody embarrassment. <laughs> he said, <laughs> this is what he said to me. He didn't he said, his words. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I didn't. He said, you're a disgrace. How can you even represent us like this? And, and after that, and you want to come back to our club as well? Not only, he said, listen, don't even come back if you don't stop this guy. He said, what's the matter with you? Show them who you are. I remember just getting that kind of confidence, that kind of that kind of rough love, that tough love. Came back out, I stopped him. Triple triple um, right hand, it was done. Then I went to the crowd, because I was I was a bit arrogant. I was bolsy. You could ask my brothers and so forth. I used to boast all the time. Even Lou, Lou would tell you. I used to, I used to skip outside and all the kids hitting the pads and you know, just showing off. And I and I looked to the crowd and I went, shh. <laughs> I'll never forget that, but yeah. And after that, we was like instant celebrities on the island, but they treated us well though. And especially we're talking about this was still the nineties. So I like to thank the people of Jersey as well, because they were they were very nice and warm-hearted. Because it is when you're in a kind of like a minority, a big minority, and you was over there, they treated us very nice. Did you think maybe I could have a career in boxing? Did you ever think that way, or were you just doing it because you enjoyed it? You enjoyed the sport? You enjoyed the competing, or? I um, mean, yeah, my coaches always used to encourage me. I ha I have to um, thank Ellsworth as well because they really did invest in me at that time. So they really wanted me just to focus. But I just felt that the pain was so deep and I haven't really explored my trauma. And I just went back. And obviously now I'm boxing. I'm, you know, I'm relevantly good with my fist as well. So it's just adding to it. Yeah, so rather than um, obviously using the skills and creating a positive thing, you've ended up where you haven't addressed your traumas and now you're becoming very skilled in professional violence as such. Mm. Um, you ended up using it in the wrong way in the streets. So. No, definitely, 100%. And I think um, sometimes, especially individuals from our community as well, we also become like, I would actually describe it, I call it the peacock syndrome. We want to show our feathers. Rather than actually be discreet about it, you don't. You want people to know that. And you're thinking that that's what will give you respect. But you don't know. Sometimes you leave yourself as an open target. And we don't realise this until it's too late. Until years, years later when you're behind bars and you're suffering or, you know, the victim's families want revenge and so forth that you realise that, wait there. What did I do? Mm. It's all an illusion. Of course. Um, 
yeah, the streets get too caught up in that peacocking and showing off and all this sort of stuff, and it can just have obviously the most horrific consequences, can't it, moving forward? Mm. So you've mentioned obviously when you've um, come out around these times, um, guns were a lot more prominent now, and they were around you, and you knew people that were using guns and stuff like this. So this came into your life now at this point here as well, and yeah. so then there was obviously people getting shot and people doing armed robberies and stuff That's like right. this. And right. um, so did you fall into that with these people with the... Of course, you know, I got convicted. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm not laughing because it's not funny, but mm, I got convicted, yeah. And so did you, were you, around these times, did you become a prolific offender, would you say? Were you on of a course. crime rampage? You, um, I was, I was dedicated to that art. And unfortunately, as well, I, I destroyed um, many lives and I encouraged many individuals by my actions. Not by words, but by my actions. So, yeah. So when you came out from the Young Offenders at 18 years old, mm. how long was it until you actually... Two got, years. Only two years? Yeah, by 20 years back. Fuck, that's absolutely tragic. So you end up spending 13 to 18 and then literally only out from 18 to 20. That's correct. And um, can we talk about the the incident, the circumstance that led up to? Of course, definitely. You getting um, convicted and getting mm -hmm. a tragically a life sentence, um, whether it, rightly or wrongly, for mm -hmm. people to decide. Um, what were the circumstances leading up to that? Okay, so the cir the circumstances surrounding my case as well was I received a phone call saying that two gentlemen that owned a car hire place they were dealing in illegal transaction if you go back into our conversation who we used to target so i went with a particular individual who i considered at the time as being my friend mm. then we went into the premises and we demanded that they give us the keys because allegedly they were supposed to be hiding those things in the car i don't think he really the gentleman at the time really took me seriously because we were young and we done some other silly little, you know, sometimes schoolboy errors where we showed our face and everything else because you're just thinking criminal, criminal, you don't need to hide and we don't really care, you're not really thinking on those kind of terms. Um, I said to the individual as well that if you don't, he gave me an envelope, I said, I didn't come for that, you know what I come for. I said, if you don't, then you know what I'm going to do next. That's what I said to him. So at that time, I produced my firearm. And I'm not proud to say um, I shot them both. It was, um, it was a horrific shoot. And then I left. Um, after a few days, <clears throat> I handed myself in. Um, Sometimes people always pose the question as well, why did you hand yourself in? Firstly, I was just tired. I was really, really tired. But I weren't tired of living, obviously. You, you want to live, you know, I want to enjoy it, but I was just tired. But I was tired of also dragging so many innocent people in at them. When I heard that my friend's sister was also in the police station being questioned over this, and, you know, she stood firm. She didn't say a single word. I just thought it was time for me to, you know, 
sometimes it's what my father said again, and I'll repeat this. It's not the mistakes that you have to worry about, but it's the consequences of that mistake. So I I owned I owned up of course. to my to my offence. And when during the robbery when you shot the people, were you mm. just trying to hurt them or were you how badly were you trying to yeah, hurt them? You I weren't was, trying to kill I was, them. Or? I was I was very disrespectful as well. And you know, I apologise again and may God have mercy upon those um, gentlemen and may God have mercy on myself as well that I was so arrogant enough to even say that well if I wanted to kill them I would have shot them in the head so you know this is the disregard of life that I actually had at that particular stage in my life as well which I'm not proud of and even now talking about it it still it does something to me because it's wrong and however you want to articulate, even if they were the biggest, horriblest individuals, it gives nobody the right to even try to attempt to take another human being's life. And one of them almost died because they were waiting. Um, from my understanding as well, I know that the families and everyone was debating like he was on the machine as well with the turn off the machine. He weren't recovering. So it was a very serious shooting. He was ill. Mm. And I'm glad, and I feel through God's mercy that he pulled through. I respect your honesty, and um, like I said, I'm not trying to glamorise it. My thoughts go out to the victims, and it's about you sort of sharing the no, no, the journey and what you've been through to sort of hopefully stop other people going through that. So, um, yeah, my hat off to you to searching it. But it's um, crazy that you're only out from 18 years old to 20 years old, a two-year period. That's right. Because like I said... Um, Obviously, it's not a good thing. It's a completely different person to the one you are today. But obviously, I spent time in the Patmore Estate over the last few years doing documentaries and all this sort of stuff. And your reputation had really sort of carried on over a twenty-year period, which is sort of must be an indication of what you were like at the time and the ferociousness of you. Um, but like I said, um, the person that I meet today from the person that people speak about it seems like they're completely polar opposites. I believe. Um, no, definitely. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I was, you know, when, you know, when you're young as well, you have this, this arrogance, this also, this also, this confidence. I was so confident that the people of Patmore loved me so much that I would, I would go out in in slippers and, <laughs> you know, just going down to the shop. The shopkeepers knew me, and one of the things that was always taught as well is that, you know, some of the old villains as well never poo on your doorstep. And so forth, help your communities. So the old ladies will say, Oh, hello, Dwayne, help me with the shopping, and you know, helping them with the shopping. And it's been so nice, and it's been um, touching as well, and heart rendering as well. That after 22 years of incarceration, throughout my time of incarceration, that a lot of still the community as well, they reached out to me whilst I was still in prison. Little old ladies, you know, people's mothers, aunties, and it's just really nice as well. Yes, I've done a lot of bad things within the community, and I'm sorry for the victims and the people that I hurt, but it's not about me and you anymore. It's about healing our communities as well. Too many young people are losing their lives over what? Cause for nothing. And um, so yeah, it doesn't make it any better, but at least you did it like you said, and so everyone does talk about you in a high regard still in there, and it's a very close-knit community. In the Patmore State, from what I've seen, everyone seems to know everyone. Yeah, um, yeah which is nice because it's not really like that in other places in the country today. So, um, unfortunately, after the incident, like you said, you've ended up 
handed yourself in. Um, and so they were obviously, they'd got your friend's sister, and so they knew it was your friend and you, uh, where you'd gone in there plain faced, and there was no sort of hiding it. Was there CCTV? Oh, but, the, but the individual that I was with at the time, that wasn't his sister. Okay. It was somebody else's sister. Oh, just a friend's random sister from. Yeah, I've got another friend that whose sister, yeah. Okay. It's, it's all complicated. So it was a thing like prior beforehand, he used her name for something, then he traced it back and she got dragged in. Yeah. So it was all the family, you know, and it was this, it was this lady, she has a, you know, she has a child. She, you know, it's unfair. She had nothing to do with it. And did they know it was you though at the time? Were they looking for you? <clears throat> do you know what? At the time I got told no, but then I found out through the paperwork as well, they did because, um, I don't want you to go too much into it, but um, certain individuals were working with them. Okay, so the, probably the mate you went with or something like this, but we don't need to talk about specifics. So yeah, so I understood that, so the whole dynamics. But I was happy, I, I committed my offence. I don't need to drag anybody else down. I accepted, I accepted full responsibility and I was incarcerated and I was the only one that was incarcerated, which I'm happy for, and this is it. Fair play to you for taking it on, and so you've ended up going and handing yourself into the police station, which must have taken crazy courage. I know it might be usually something bad you've done, but in order to go and know what you to be to fair, come, no, to be fair though as well, I'm going to be honest as well because it weren't so much as also a heroic thing as well. It was also thinking that well. They haven't died. Okay, I'm gonna do a few years, but I'm still gonna come out young and I'm gonna continue to do what I'm gonna do. Little did I know that there was new laws and policies that were changing and the police were just fed up with me that they were gonna say that, no, this is, this is definitely gonna be your last time. Little was I to know because of my lack of understanding, miseducation. Mm. So you've gone and handed yourself in. Where'd you go and hand yourself into? Like the Battersea Police Station or the Patton local police yeah, station? Yeah, so I went there, but they met me already. I called them. I said, I'm handing myself in. I'm led to believe that you you were searching for me because they were. They already went to my friend's house. So I said, I'm handing myself in. They said, they seemed a bit, they seemed a bit on edge as well. They said, nah, we're going to meet you. Come on to, um, I think it was Batsy Bridge. And then by then they had their whole team and everything else, undercovers first and so forth. So yeah, they were looking for us. Mm. So you sort of guess spent a night or two at Battersea and then before getting remanded. Yeah, so um, the strangest, first time to adult jail was this. The strangest thing was as well that there was an officer, his name was Alistair. You might have heard of him when you've been on Patmore yeah. as well. And he opened my door and he said, So what have you done? Something like this. Then he closed it and then all I heard was a massive chair. Fucking hell. So it's like all the police officers were cheering, they were just happy. Yes. Because they knew something that I still lacked understanding. I thought I was just going to get, you know, maybe a few years. Okay, they're looking for me, I've handed myself in. That would also be good as well. The judge will take that into consideration. Maybe they will give me, okay, firearms, I shot them. But these guys are unsavory characters as well. The longest I might have to serve is 10 years, do half, do five, I'm out. I'm still young, I'm active, I'm going back. Little did I know what they had in store for me. Yeah, I mean, I would have uh, expected more like the 10 years, um, 
like I said, especially if you're handing yourself in. And I'm guessing um, for the fact you went and handed yourself in, you did take it to trial, you plead straight away. Did you plead? Must no, initially, because you know what? It weren't sounding too right. So then eventually I said, what? Okay, so it's, are they trying to act funny? So I went um, I went not guilty. Mm. And then I said, well, what am I doing? Like, my solicitor said that, listen, this is silly now. This plea guilty. Like, it's, everything's there. And I went guilty. When did you plead guilty? Like the first day of the trial or something? Yeah, first day. It wasn't even a trial. Yeah. So, yeah. So you end up losing, obviously, the third and what you might have got off through that. But obviously, it looked like the judge was there to sting you anyway. Um, and where had you been? Um, what jail were you in prior while you're waiting for the trial to come up? I was in Young Offenders. You were Young Offenders? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you were back in Felton, was it? I was back in Felton. And then, um, so you've ended up pleading guilty eventually on the, the first day. Did, you didn't get sentenced on that day, though, did you? Was it come back a few weeks later, or did you get sentenced on that? Do you know what? It's not too clear. I can't I can't remember exactly, but I think I had to come back. Yeah. So I do remember that. But I don't know the length of time that I had to come back. But remember, also, I was kicking up such a... Um, a fuss in the prison system because I had this kind of very predatory mentality as well. Now that I'm in prison, yeah. I'm not listening to no one. And especially after just doing what you've done as well, knowing that you've got years ahead of you, your mind must have just been completely lost at those moments there when you're awaiting sentence or pre-trial. Of course, I'm not going to lie to you as well. I just felt that, well, for me, for example, as well, so when I was remanded back, as soon as I went into reception, the guys already said, all right, you're on television. So this is what they said. Mm. Secondly, as well, I noticed that at that time, they were doing a clear, uh, they were doing a cleanup. So the police was. So you had a lot of people from Patmore, a lot of people from Battersea, Clapham Junction. They were all being incarcerated at that time. Then you had people from North London, so forth. You know, it was the Trident, and there was everything else as well. I had nine cousins at Feltham at that time. Nine cousins and all their other co-defendants as well. Fucking hell. So it was like a big party. It was like, I weren't taking the magnitude and the seriousness of, of my sentence. I'm just seeing a lot of friends and, and, you know, catching up with the local, like, news and gossip. Okay, what happened to this person, that person? Then sending messages to tell that person their best, you know, what time it is when I see them. And, you know, there's all this kind of silly, you know, I call it Neanderthal behaviour. But it was all just like, a, you know, until when we start getting sentences, <laughs> it's, all a, it's all kind of like a playground. And then showing people that I'm still the same person, that I was outside, now I'm just going to show it inside. So officer will tell me something, like, um, go behind your door. Then unfortunately, um, situations will escalate and um, they would be, they'll be badly injured and so forth. And then it will be, in those times as well, they had a system in place as well. That you put your hands on the officer as well, they put their hands on you as well. So don't think you just got away with it, it's got free. Like what sometimes the general public has this perception as well. That, oh, look at this vicious fog. Look, he's talking, he's boasting about hurting officers. I'll tell you this now. Some of the greatest beatings I've ever had in my life were from HMP prisons. They will put you into the cell, strip you naked, cut your clothes off and so forth, and they would really lay into you. 
you know, I've heard um, whatever you give them, you get 10 times worse back. And especially in the past, it was they could get away with tenfold more than what they can do today. Um, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Which obviously you experienced. But yeah, like I said, you had no um, fear of attacking the screws. Like I said, you were that angry and that lost at the time. And your mind was... Yeah, and I think also as well that when somebody loses hope, then he becomes desperate. And then when you become desperate, you don't really care about anything anymore. So of course, without hope, there's nothing. There's no life. That's right. So you've ended up um, getting sentenced, then you've ended up pleading on the first day of the trial, and then you've ended up being sentenced. Um, talk to me about that day and the sentence you got. And the... But I have to articulate before that, everything was pandemonium. Because of my behaviour, they already started me up. They started me up on an incident. They started me up on an uh, incident yep. that I didn't really create. So what actually happened was me and my cousin was going on to a visit. We had a double visit, and there was a gentleman. He was a red band, and he observed me. Now, now looking back at it, he could have been observing me in the sense of like, ah, oh, I recognise that face. Maybe he's a friend of a friend, or and so forth. But where that he was so big and imposing as well, and I just felt that he was looking at me with menace. It weren't from a good place. Yeah. So I asked him, I said, do you know me? Automatically, he threw his arm broom down. So I knew there was a clear problem. And he went, what? Because I was boxing at 69 kilograms, so he felt confident. Remember, I'm under 11 stone compared to somebody who's 16, 17 stone. So he's, com he's confident. And unfortunately, we engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And unfortunately for him, it didn't work out as he expected. When that happened, uh, obviously the officer blew the whistle. <laughs> that was he couldn't get the bell quick enough, he blew the whistle. And we were sent back. Well, my cousin was still upset because obviously he went to visit and we were, you know, they're arguing the concept. I accepted mine. But then allow my cousin to still go out. But so what happened was at the time I think what they done for like those that are on remand for like murder or attempted murder was partridge or quail. I forgot. It's been such a long time. Mm -hmm. So I was on one, my cousin was on the other side because I had I think I had two cousins on my side, and then the rest of the cousins were on the other side. So he went back and then the bell went off. They shut the door and the bell went off. So I turned around, I'll never forget that. I turned around to the officer and I said, I hope that's not my cousin. Because you know what time it's going to be if it's my cousin, if you put your hand on my cousin. He said, no, 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 it's not. Little did I know it was him. So there was like a George Floyd moment where they were bending his neck back. This is what I got told. Yeah. So, and he told me, the, the primary source told me, and plus people that were there at the time told me. So residents just got involved and they injured the officer. And then they took the keys and started to open up. So now it's a right situation. So remember, they were on a different wing. It's across the way from us. So now, now, what's involved me? When the tornado team came and they dealt with the problems that was occurring there, they then said, they then said that um, the reasons why they're coming for me now is because they heard, let's get Patterson out. But out of my nine cousins, there was four with the same surname. 
So what pattern are you talking about? And it was some over the other side. So obviously, if the incident's on that side, then obviously they're referring to the ones over that side. They're not going to do a crossover. <laughs> it's too much. The officers are blocking that way. So they came anyway one night. Um, but before that, to be fair though, there was a bit of tension on our side because everybody heard. And sometimes, you know that adrenaline and now I'm finding out it's my cousin. Every, everybody stood still. Everybody was, and they were just looking. And then my cousin said, no, I don't. One of my cousins, he advised me, said, no, I don't. He said, they're not ready for what will happen. And so we went behind our doors. And I think the officers kind of knew there was some type of tension. And I remember, I just remember being on my bed, the doors flew open. Bang. That's it, they got me, they dragged me out. That was it, I was on the van with all the rest of the ones that were involved in the riots and so forth. I, I went to Chelmsford. Chelmsford. Mm. <clears throat> and going there, obviously, I know you'd been for a lot. At this stage, you'd obviously spent more than five years in the Young Fenders, but there must have been um, a fear of going to the men's jail at that point. No, I was ready to go, to be fair. Because sometimes as well, do you know the maturity levels? You're getting older as well, and you see these little kids like on the visit. My mum said, remember? That little kid, I remember when my mum came and visited me as well, and I was sitting on the table, we were talking, and we saw this young, young kid. He looks barely, he looks barely old enough to be in film. And my mum said, you look like that when you first... And I looked at that and I said, you know what, I need to leave. Crazy. It was just, you know, it was so small. It was, t it was absolutely tiny. It's like you could pick him up, mm. put him across your shoulder or something. Like you were so, And my mum said that that was you when you were a kid. Like, he was just so, t you just want to protect him. He was just, <laughs> of and I said, no, nah, I need to go. I need to leave. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't star you up straight away from the offence um, and even put you back in the felony. That's what I was actually thinking. But then what happened was, I think they wanted to teach me a lesson because what actually happened... I went to Chelmsford. At that time, I think Sewing was the young offenders. And I got like, what made matters worse? I got like a hero's welcome. So as soon as I got there, all the youths came and was hugging me and yeah, we heard this and, you know, so even I started to believe my hype. <laughs> you know, like, we're young, we're you're trying to... Such they're... misguided bravado, isn't it, in that world that anything bad's good and then good's bad and it's all about... It's just fucking yeah, lost, it's, isn't it? It's, it's totally confusing. So what actually happened was the officers saw that and they just saw um, red flag. They said, no, nah, um, pack your stuff. Yeah. And that's when it hit me, actually. They said, pack your stuff. So where one more guy? They said, yeah, you're going on to the adult side. So I think it was D-Wing or something. I can't remember. Sorry, it's been such a long time. Yeah. Um, so I went over. And you have to remember the system, especially in Bs, not so much dispersals. I'm going to explain that to you. But in these, they had a different, like, especially in my time, they had a different kind of system in place. They used to have like, normally it would be uh, maybe a Caucasian gentleman. He would be quite very muscular and the officers would instruct him like, you know, who's a troublemaker, tell him, just give him a word, give him a nudge. And they turn a blind eye to whatever he's doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So when this gentleman came to me, um, I'll never forget this, and he said, yeah, he said, boy, now, I've, I've, I've got a few issues with that. Boy, I'm not saying he's racist, but I'm saying that calling a black person a boy, and you're knowing the historical significance of calling someone a boy. 
and then plus my bravado as still I'm still young, I've still got high levels of um, testosterone. I'm only twenty. So he says, "Yeah, you can't do this round here, wherever you think you are." So I said, "Oh, is it?" So then, unfortunately, um, I engaged in hand-to-hand combat with him, and unfortunately, it didn't work out well for him. So now, they're in a dilemma because the people that they're trying to send to correct me, it's not working. And then I had an incident with an officer and they moved me and then that was the story of my life from my remand times. It's like I, then I went to Belmarsh, they said I was pot A. Pot A, so what's yeah, that? Potential cat A. Yeah, yeah, so you had to wear the suit, did you? So that's what they said, um, pot A. So um, after that they said no, B cat, still on the wing. House block four had an incident. Tornado teams came um, in the seg, and then after that, it was just crazy for the, my Roman time, which was a year. I moved. The only way I can actually describe it to you is I probably on my Roman time within that year, I went to Belmarsh about three times. I went to Wandsworth about two times. I went to. ones with Pentonville about three times. I went to Chelmsford twice. I went to High Down at the time because they were doing romance about twice. Um, where's that one? Scrubs. I've been Scrubs probably about three times. All the prisons in London and it got to a stage where even in court that I'm saying that like, why and I you're calling everybody's name, why are they saying that listen, prisoners want you. You need to find you something.